0: Good morning Community Church, good morning Mount Pleasant, good morning Alma, good morning those of you who are online, and this is Palm Sunday, so it's a great Sunday to be talking about our topic today. A famous politician in England was once asked what he thought about heaven. Here's his response. When I was a boy, the thought of heaven used to frighten me more than the thought of hell. I pictured heaven as a place where time would be perpetual Sundays with perpetual services (laughs) from which there would be no escape. (laughs) That's his definition of heaven. So that's not heaven. How many of you remember heaven is a wonderful place filled with glory and grace? I want to see my Savior's face. Heaven is a wonderful place. Remember that? You don't? Well, there's a handful of you in my age group that remember that, because that's it for the day. That's heaven. See you next week for Easter. (laughs) My hope is that everyone in here will be in heaven with me. We were created to be in relationship with one another. We were created to be in relationship with God. But then something happened. When sin entered the world, when Adam and Eve in that garden made a choice that was in opposition to God's will, you and I lost what we lose. Well, we lost the purity of fellowship with one another. We lost fellowship with God. We lost a world without sin. We lost absolute truth. We lost paradise. Paradise is a Persian word that means a walled-in garden. Just think about that for a moment. That's what God had created for us to live in, to be fruitful, to multiply, to subdue the earth, to have dominion over it. But we lost it. And as Adam and Eve are removed from this glorious place, they leave through the east gate, which then is covered by angels who have flaming swords to keep anyone from entering. As they do and they look back, can't you imagine that they're seeing a sunset? And the sunset is one, not just of physical darkness, but it's now spiritual darkness. Because they are separated from God and in many ways separated from one another because of sin. But we talked about that last week. God still has a garden for us. He still has a promise to us. He preserved that garden, not like the Henry Ford Village in Dearborn that records the historical events and has captured beautiful things throughout its museum. No, God didn't do it that way. God actually took this Eden, and as we will see in a few moments, he moved it to heaven, and eventually he'll move it back To the new earth we're gonna get back that which was lost because of God's great love for mankind you see the problem is that we are trying to find Eden but we're doing it our way and if you're the problem and you and I are then we're not the solution you can't be both the problem and the solution God is the solution to our problem. And he solved our problem through the death of his son Jesus Christ. But we're going to celebrate next week that resurrection of Christ, which is the central focal point of our faith. Before Christ was crucified, dead, buried and resurrected, he made a promise to his disciples because He wanted them to know that we're going to gain back paradise. Here's what he said in John 14, verses 2 and 3. My father's house has many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. We want to return to a perfect world, and that's God's promise. We want a, a tangible, physical relationship because God has promised that we can have it back. So today, we're turning the last page on the last page. Today is the ultimate statement of where we're going to end up because of what God did for us and because of our faith in him. We're going to look at three things. Just a little look at where we are now, a little bit more look at where we go when God calls us home, and then a much longer look at what it will be like on the new earth. So let's get started with the reality of earth. And I really don't have to say much about it, do I? It's a fallen world. (laughs) That's all you have to say. It's fallen. Look at everything and see how fallen we are. Our only hope is in Christ Jesus. Our only hope is in you and me attempting to stand fast in the midst of a sinful world, while we are yet still with a sinful nature. But God has made promises to us. Hebrews 11.10, speaking of Abraham, the writer says, For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. I've lived in many cities in my lifetime. And each time you go to a new city, you have dreams of what it will be like, all the amenities that are there and how much fun it will be. But let me tell you, they never meet the expectation, do they? The vacation is over too soon. But in heaven, it's going to last forever because it's a city not built by hands. It's a city built by God. So here's our statement about the reality of earth. We're born, we live, we die. That's it. So we have a very specific length of time, different for each of us, in which we are to understand who God is and what he's promised to us. And when we can do that, we can make more of this world and we have a hope for the world that is to come. So what's what's heaven going to be like when we die? I think if I took a poll among you, we would come up with a very weird heaven. Some say, oh, we're going to be angels. I don't want to be an angel. I never have been one. So Why should I start now? No, that's not what we're going to be. God describes for us, sometimes in hidden language, sometimes openly, what it will be like to be in what we call the reality of the intermediate state. That is a place between two places, intermediate. A place between living on earth and going to the new earth. That's where we go when we pass away. There's a tremendous discontinuity between what you experience on earth and what awaits you in heaven. You know how difficult it is to read Daniel And Ezekiel and parts of Revelation because words are being used to describe something that no man has ever seen so it makes it very hard for us to get a concrete grasp on what earth will be when it's new for us what heaven will be when we pass into it one scholar described in three levels our existence. He said, there is a terrestrial heaven. That's what you and I walk out and we look up. We see the sky. We see the clouds. There's the celestial heaven, which is home to the planets and the stars. And there is the celestial heaven, which is the residence of God. So when the apostle Paul says, I knew a man, I know not if he was in the spirit or in the flesh, he went to the third heaven. That's what he'd be talking about. That heaven which holds the presence of God. Can we know what heaven's like? First Corinthians 2 9. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love Him, but God has revealed it to us by His Spirit. Let me tell you the difficulty people have. They leave off the last ten words. They say, No eye has seen, no man has heard. We can't figure out what heaven is. But look at the last 10 words. And I always love these two together. But God. That's our hope, isn't it? Every time a situation comes up and we think it's impossible, someone will say, but God. Look what he says here. He says, but God has revealed it. What? Heaven. He's revealed it to us by his spirit. When my youngest daughter was five years old, we lost her grandparents, my wife's father and mother, five months apart. They're buried in Kansas. We had to get them both to Kansas over that period of time. And The night before we took my wife's mom to Kansas, we stayed in their home and we went to sleep. And the next morning we got up, went to the funeral home on our way to the airport. But early that morning, Emma came down and she said, I need to tell you something. we said, we don't have time right now, honey. We need to get going. We went through the whole day. We're having supper before we board the airplane. Can I tell you now? (laughs) Well, yeah. What is it, honey? She said, well, last night when I went to sleep, she said, these two angels came. And they took me. And I saw Nani and Papa, and they're fine. But then they took me to the seat of Jesus. She said, you know the river that runs down toward the throne with the trees on either side of it. And by now, (laughs) five years old, quoting Revelation. Are you kidding me? And she said, he gave me some cabbage, not like the cabbage we have here. It was so good. And she said, I turned to him and I said, Jesus, can I stay here? Do you know that's the appropriate response? Nobody wants to come back. And he said, no, I have something for you to do, so I have to send you back. She said, okay. And two angels brought me back. By now, my wife and I are just weeping. You know, what is this? There's no room for this in my theology. What has happened? And my wife says, well, why didn't I get to go? Five-year-old Emma says, you didn't ask. I did. Wow. Wow. Now, that's an anecdotal story, you know? I can't prove anything about it other than to hold on to what that scripture says that the Spirit has revealed it and that Paul actually experienced that. Maybe it's true. If you ask her today, she doesn't remember a single event of it. But her sister wrote it down in a little book right after she told us, and we have that book. So she can't deny it, but for some reason... God has removed it from her memory that she would not be filled with pride. But just think heaven is a prepared place for a prepared people. I love that statement. It's not mine, I found it somewhere. It's a great statement, isn't it? He has prepared it. That's why He said, I go to prepare a place for you. It is prepared, friends. It's ready for those of us who are ready to join it. Last week, we were talking about Lazarus and the rich man. You remember from Luke chapter 16. And we spent most of our time on the rich man today. We're going to talk very briefly, but about Lazarus. Verse 19 of Luke 16. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus covered with sores, longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died, and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. Notice the earthly condition of this guy. He was living in a a depraved state. Uh, He was a beggar. He was in sorrow. He had all these things going against him. But that's not why he went to heaven. He went to heaven because he had a faith in God. And God brought him there. But what do we find when we find him there? We find him physically there. In some kind of a body that was recognizable because the rich man says, you know, I can see Lazarus there. Send him to me. So that gives us hope that, okay, I'm not going to be floating around in a disembodied spirit when I get to the intermediate state of heaven. God is putting some kind of a recognizable body on me because I've left the body I'm now in, but I am still alive. You see, we never die. Our body dies. And I go into the presence of God. To be absent with the body is to be present with the Lord. So here we are in his presence. That state of existence in the presence of God that we have longed for God created a relationship for us to have with him. He is with all of those who have been redeemed. So everyone you know who had a faith in Jesus Christ is just like Lazarus right now, resting in the presence of God. Have you been with any who have had their last minutes on life? I know many of you probably have. I mentioned my father-in-law when he was passing I was in the hospital room with him and he couldn't speak but he could see and he was cognitive of things going on around him and I noticed as we were standing there that he was looking like this and I said dad do you see something he nodded I said do you see your angels coming for you and he smiled and he nodded and he died you know I want these things for me (laughs) I don't want to wake up one day and find out I'd had an accident. <laughs> you know, I want that, that presence of God, that, that glory that he's prepared for us to be into his presence. It's nothing to fear. Heaven is not, though, our final destination. It's not where we're going to end up. Because a day will come that we're celebrating next week, which is the resurrection Of all of us, of the whole world, a general resurrection. Now, those who are dead in Christ will be raised first, and then we who are left here will be called up into his presence to dwell with him forever. But there's something beyond that. Then something happens. Revelation 21, the first five verses, the reality of the new earth. Then I saw a new heaven. And a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. He was, who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. He had promised this in the Old Testament, Isaiah 65, 17. Behold, I will create new heavens and a new earth. And again in 66, 22 of Isaiah As the new heavens and the new earth that I make will endure before me, declares the Lord, so will your name and descendants endure. He's promised us something brand new. When we die on this earth, we go into that intermediate state, but we're not going to stay there forever because the day is coming. We see our spirit moves on. The body comes. The resurrection comes. The body is changed from corruptible to incorruptible so that it can exist forever. God did not destroy the Garden of Eden. The tree of life is in that garden. Genesis 3:24. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. I follow that up with this thought in Revelation 22, 1 through 5. John is speaking as the spirit leads him. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the lamb will be in the city. His servants will serve him. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun. For the Lord God will give them light and they will reign forever and ever. The tree of life is still alive. Its physical location is in the city of New Jerusalem. Now we know that, but Satan is opposed to us knowing that. Revelation thirteen six says, Satan, he opens his mouth to blaspheme God, to slander his name and his dwelling place and those who live in heaven because he had his taste of heaven and he chose not to stay with it. But God's going to open your eyes on that day. There's a two-part transition that takes place. The first is you leave the physical behind, you gain a new spiritual uh, reality. The second part is the hope of the believer that while we are waiting there, we're waiting for that day that all of creation is waiting for. Even the world, the creation groans and waits for its transformation by the power of the word of God, which will be the new heaven. Now, there are two ways to describe the word new. We define it in the Greek language that was used here, either as something made out of nothing, or as something refined from something it used to be. And that's exactly what the meaning is when we have new Jerusalem and new earth. It's new created out of something that already exists. In his wonderful book entitled Heaven, Randy Alcorn says, There are those who have followed Jesus Christ. They will live a resurrected life in a resurrected body with a resurrected Christ on a resurrected earth. Just remember that one. That's the journey we're on. We're headed to a resurrected life with Christ who's been resurrected to an earth that has been resurrected. The central point of that earth will be New Jerusalem. Hebrews 13, 14. For here we do not have an enduring city, but we're looking for the city that is to come, New Jerusalem. The Apostle Peter said, It will never crumble or decay. Now, here are my words no new paint, no carpet, no repair, no dusting, no mopping, no vacuuming, no allergies, no humidifiers, no dehumidifiers, no air cleaners. (laughs) One guy said it this way he said, No more sea. No more sadness, no more sleep, sorrow, suffering, sun, sin, or sundown. They're all gone. It's an earth that is more glorious than you and I can imagine. We can't even picture it. And in the midst of it is this tree of life. The original Garden of Eden, protected by those angels. Let me tell you about that city. The city is... 1,500 square miles. That's just one city. That would be somewhere from the east coast of the U.S. to the Rockies and from Canada down to the Gulf. That's a city. And it has walls not to keep people out, but to encase this new Jerusalem, 216 feet tall, 15 different kinds of of Precious stones are used. People say, oh, the streets of heaven are paved with gold. No, the streets of heaven are gold. They're not just paved with it. It's, it's a sight we can't imagine. The gates, the 12 gates to Jerusalem, are made out of single pearls. I dare to ask what the oyster looked like. <laughs> I mean, it's just start imagining this. And there's no sun or moon because God himself... Lights the whole universe as we are called into his presence. Revelation 2, 7. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God, the garden of God, the garden of Eden. I'm homesick. For Eden I'm homesick to see my family that have gone before me to see my two best friends Bill and Joseph most of all to see Jesus and know that I've been accepted by him now I don't want to go yet because I feel like there's more to do but heaven is a wonderful place And I can't wait to get there. What's it going to be like? I found the statements of an old saint. You wouldn't know his name, so I'm not using it. But after I read this, I want you just to stay where you are and worship as Allison and Mitch come. And they're going to just lead us in the most beautiful song of heaven that will help us so much. So here this reading from this old saint what is heaven God is its architect Christ is the superintendent the Holy Spirit is the builder it's a work of art a labor of love it is in every detail a thing of beauty a joy forever its grasses trees flowers are of breathtaking beauty its streets of gold its buildings are the costliest everlasting marvel. its government is in the hands of the Prince of Peace the Holy Spirit is the superintendent of education the angels make up its teaching staffs there are no jail houses no prisons no reformatories no hospitals no orphanages no old folks homes no drugstores no doctors no dentists no lawyers no courts No blind, no deaf, none who can't speak, no cripples, no weak, no aged, no feeble, sin and Satan are banished forever. Nothing that is unclean or defiles in any way will be permitted to enter through its wide gates. There's nothing on earth to which we can compare it. The human mind cannot comprehend, nor can the human tongue describe the glories of that eternal prepared place. From every continent, climate, country, color, creed, over all the earth, Jew, Gentile, black, white, yellow, brown, Catholic, Protestant, Baptist, Presbyterian, independent, young, old, rich, poor, weak, strong, educated, ignorant, they all have been bidden to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And myriads have accepted the invitation. I'm going there. I know that for sure. Because he saved me. Are you saved? Do you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? If not, you need to ask him to take over your life. Because then this guarantee is for you, that he has gone to prepare a place for you. And he will be coming back to take us there, to be with him. I hope to see you there.